This morning, we're going to continue our series, What on Earth Am I Here For? Um, We are in the third part. We discovered that God made you on purpose with a purpose. He has a plan for you, and as you know that plan, life is more fun. Life has direction. It gives strength. Um, And as we went out, we said, well, what, what thing is our life for? And we said, well, the first purpose, God made you for his pleasure. God made you to know and love him back. We call this one worship. We talked about that last week. All right, you guys talked about that last week. Last week, I slept um, because I spent all of Saturday night into Sunday morning until just before first service at the hospital because we thought Titus was going to come. My wife had contractions for 12 hours straight, and then they stopped. We're like, what is this? You keep us up at night, and then we were hanging out at Spectrum, and then they're like, okay, they just stopped. Well, that's exciting. We're going to go home and go to sleep now. And so we were coming home as the first service was getting underway um, <coughs> last week. So I missed out. Sorry, I, I missed you guys last week. But today we get to talk about um, being part of God's family. And we're going to just call this fellowship. But being part of God's family is one of the things that you were made for. God had this in mind before he created you, before, in fact, he even created the world. Ephesians 2.10 says, hey, look, they got me a stage extender. That's not actually what the verse says, but it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We, God had a plan for us before he created us. This plan, part of this plan is to be part of his family. Um, We go, what does it mean to be part of the family? 1 Timothy 3.15 says, Then even if I'm delayed, you will know how to live in the family of God. That family is the church of the living God. The church is not an event. The church is not a building or a club. The church is the family of God. And realizing that church is not a weekend activity, it is the family of God. (coughs) Not everybody is part of the family of God. And this is news to some people. They're like, well, God made me, so I'm part of his family. No. God made you, therefore you're part of his creation. Every person is part of God's creation. Not everybody is part of God's family. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. It says, not to everyone But to those who received him, he gives the right to be children of God. When you receive Jesus, when you believe in him through faith, you become a child of God. And you become a part of his family. Galatians 3.26 says it this way. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It says that it's our faith in Christ Jesus that brings us into this family. Romans 8.15 says... For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. It says that when we believe and we receive what Jesus offers, we are adopted in as part of his family. And when this happens, there's a whole bunch of gifts that become available to you. There is gifts that come as being part of the family. When when you are born into his family, (coughs) you get to become part of the family. You get the family name, family likeness, the family privileges, access, and inheritance. 
Um, growing up, I had, I kind of got a, a little glimpse of things because of who my father is. My father's Pastor Dwayne. Growing up, I had access to things at church that other people don't have access to. People want to spend time with the pastor. They call and they set an appointment. I want to spend time with the pastor. I just walk in with my dad. So you're like, hey. And like the assistant's like, hey. And you're like, hey, what's up? And they got like a little buzzer to people in the office. They're like, hey. And they buzz it. And you can't even get your head over the desk. It's a little kid. You're like jumping up and down. Look, it's me. And they buzz, they buzz it. Um, and you had access. Well, why? Because of who my father was. So I had access to my father because I was his son. And as children, we have access, we have an inheritance. What the Father has becomes available to us. And it's a really, really cool deal. But we get to identify with this. If you, growing up, if I was able to hide, and granted, it was kind of hard to pretend I wasn't my dad's son because I looked enough like him that I'd go places and people look at me and go, Vanderclock, you're a Vanderclock. Yeah, busted again. Like you just, you get caught. But if I was able to hide it, I was able to hide it a little bit in college because I moved 10,000 miles away, all of a sudden I lost the privileges. I lost the ability, the access to the pastor where I was at because I no longer was granted access because I was disconnected from the Father. I was no longer, um, like here growing up, I got to meet all the guest speakers. We have a guest speaker, I go meet him. You've got people who show up hours and hours early to, to see Joyce Myers or Jesse Duplantis. But because growing up, because of my father, that was one of the privileges. And there was, there was definitely some cons. Well, that's another story for a different day. But the, uh, I got to go meet Jesse Duplantis and Joyce Myers. I, when I was in college, I was disconnected from the father. And so I didn't get to meet any of the great speakers that, that were there because I was separated from it. If we remove ourselves and separate ourselves from the family, we lose out on the privileges. Baptism is an opportunity to declare, to reveal um, your identification with God's and in God's family. Baptism is full of meaning. If you're like, what is baptism? Uh, as a little kid, I didn't really understand it. I thought baptism was getting dunked. That's all it meant. And so I'm like, like your brother tries to baptize you and you're in the pool. And like, get off me. And like, you know, he's hated that. I remember being a little kid and trying to baptize myself. You know, I watched the pastor do it. You know, like, hey, baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're like, sweet, I'll baptize me. You get in the tub, you're like, I baptize you in Jesus' name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Woohoo, baptized. You know, wet, bathed, but not baptized. I didn't understand that baptism was not simply about getting very wet, that baptism was a declaration that baptism was an identification both into, into God's family and into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's identifying and saying Jesus died for my sin and was buried and rose again. And like his death, burial, and resurrection, I'm identifying by being buried in water and raising again, saying that my old life is being buried, being left behind, and I'm going to come out of the water, a new person, identifying with him, going to live in newness of life with and like him. And it's this declaration of what God's done. It declares our faith. It shares in Christ's burial and resurrection, symbolizes our, the death of our old life, announces your new life in Christ, and also is a celebration of your inclusion in God's family. And as we look in through the Bible, we see Jesus declaring <coughs> and commanding those that followed him to believe and be 
baptized, to make disciples and to baptize them. And as, as we go through the Bible, we don't ever see a gap between them being, becoming a believer and being baptized. It was always believe, be baptized. Peter says, all right, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 people were baptized and ad- believed, baptized, and added to their number that day. Um, that's a massive undertaking. But right away, they said, I believe, let me identify with his family. Let me make this declaration of faith and recognize that I'm identifying with him and what he did for me. When uh, Philip was, was uh, um, trying to remember the guy's name that he, he encountered, that they kind of, I think normally we just call him the eunuch. And uh, anyways, he, he meets this guy as he's walking along, hears the guy reading, goes up, explains what the guy's reading, explains the gospel. The guy gets saved. And the guy, as he's going, he's like, this is awesome. Hey, there's a pond. There's some water. What stops me from being baptized? Gets out, goes, Philip baptizes him, and instantly is transported. You go, what does that mean? Anyone ever watch Star Trek? Beam me up, Scotty. Like, basically what just happened. Philip baptizes him, and God's like, okay, I need you somewhere else. Like, just disappear there, reappear there. Could you imagine that? You're like, yeah, yeah. But it was important enough that God's like, I'm going to send you over here. I want you to witness to him. I want him to make a decision to follow me, and I want him to get baptized. And as soon as this is done, I can take you to witness somewhere else. And so Jesus makes this a big deal. And he makes it a big deal in order. Believe and be baptized. You know, some of you guys are like, I got sprinkled when I was a baby. Awesome. You got a bath. That's a good thing. Um, and more than a decision from you, that was your parents saying, I want this child to be raised to honor God. I am dedicating. I am committing my child to God, which is great decision for them. But it does not mark a decision for you. I don't think any of you guys as babies were like, I want to follow Jesus. Sprinkle me. Like, it's just not quite the way it works. That would be kind of weird. It can be freaky, actually. Um, and you go, well, well, as the Bible says it, you go, well, what does it matter as long as it all happened? But order is very, very important on things. Let me, let me give you an example of a few good things where order's importance becomes very plain. Um, this week, <coughs> in the morning, probably tomorrow, you should wake up, shower, get dressed, and go to school or go to work. If you change the order in any of those, it's bad. If you shower before you wake up, that's going to be bad. If you wake up, get dressed, and then get in the shower, that's going to be bad. You're going to go to school like a popsicle. You're going to walk out there to your car. <laughs> I can't stand. Fro- like, you're all wet in your clothes. Yeah, not good. If you get up, shower, go to school, and then get dressed, that's bad. Uh, they're all good things, but they need to be done in the right order. Let me take a, a brief rabbit trail. A lot of times people struggle with this concept of order, both with baptism, but again, even with things like sex. There's two ditches where people go, well, either sex is good and I want it now, or if sex is bad, I don't ever want it. And that's both wrong. Sex is good in the right place, in the right order. 
if you wait to get dressed until you get to school, it's a bad thing, though going to school is good. You just need to get dressed before you go. Sex is good in the right order. First you get married, then you have sex. When you reverse things, it causes problems. And we could go, I could actually do an entire message on the problems and the destroying of the foundation, the home, and a few other things that happen when we mess with the order. But for you to understand that it's a good thing in the right place. A good thing in the wrong place can be very destructive. Breathing is a good thing. Done underwater, it'll kill you. Why? It's a good thing in the wrong place. And for you to understand that the right thing has to be in the right place or the right thing becomes the wrong thing. Okay, so baptism. The Jesus tells us to get baptized. It is very important, declares, um, and is a symbol of our commitment and our place in his family. Biblically, it comes after repentance and is something <laughs> that all of us are to do. If you have not been baptized yet, we're going to have a celebration service in March. Um, in the main, we're all going to go in and we're going to have a chance. And if you have not been baptized, I want to invite you and challenge you to get baptized at that service. Um, so <clears throat> baptism, as Jesus was talking about being part of God's family, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus turns around, and you can find this story in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So all right, know and love God back, worship. Second, he goes, the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, fellowship. And Jesus summarizes it in verse 40 and says, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. He goes, if you can love God and love people, you can do what you want. Because if you love God first and you love people, you're not going to hurt them. You're not going to abuse them. You're not going to take things from them. And the list goes on. But he goes through and says, this is supposed to, to mark us that this is what matters. And a lot of times, especially in America, we culturally have this wrong. Culturally, we push success, achievement, and money. And culturally, we push people out of the way. We step on people, pull people down, push people out of the way, stand on people to try to achieve money and success. And we go, why? Because I need to achieve money and success to be important and to be valuable. But what really matters in life is not success. It is not achievement. It is people. Look at somebody right before they die that knows they're going to die. If they don't know, it doesn't count. But if they know they're going to die, what do they want? Do, you, do people on their deathbed say, bring me my diplomas. I want to look at them one more time. I feel so smart. Like, do people sit there on their deathbed and go, bring me my money. I want to count it. Bring me my, 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 uh, my computer so I can see all of my money and kiss the screen. Do people sit there and go, bring me pictures of all of my houses. I want to see how much I bought. Do they, what, what do they want? Bring me my family. Bring me my friends. And a lot of times, they're trying to restore relationships that they messed up 
because they were chasing after achievement and success and alienating people. And as they're finally dying, they finally understand that, wait a second, in all of this, I don't care about the business that I built when I sacrificed my family. I just want my family. I don't care about these different things that I work so hard for. They say, well, you just, this is the time when they want the people that they love around them. Why? Because they, they figure out there at the end what actually matters. Because money doesn't last forever. People do. Even when they die, death is not the end. Not everyone understands that, but regardless of whether you understand it or not, it's true. You may understand gravity, you may not. Step off a cliff, you fall. Um, and it's true. People last forever. People are what matters. <coughs> Wisdom is understanding this sooner rather than later. Not waiting until you're dying to go, you know what? The thing that matters is relationship. The thing that matters is people. God made me to have relationship with him and relationship with people. See, <coughs> this isn't a matter of um, a crutch. This isn't a matter of, well, we're broken, so we need people, we need relationships. Who that's hot supposed to help like clear the throat so I can talk without hacking in your ears because of the mic, but just burnt myself. Okay. Um, when man was perfect, before there was sin, while the earth was perfect, God looked at man and didn't say, you know what? Things are too good. Let me mess it up. Here, let me find someone who can really get you angry. Like, no, he goes, looks at man. You can find this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. It is not good that mankind should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. God looked at a perfect man in a perfect world and said, You are not meant to be alone. You are made for relationship. You are made for fellowship. If you are all alone, you are not going to fulfill the purposes that God made you for. He goes, I made you for fellowship. It is not good that you're alone. Let me make someone to be with you. You, <coughs> Jesus is, God is love. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. If God is love, he says that, that the most important lesson he wants you to learn on earth is how to love. See, earth is preparation for eternity. In heaven, a lot of people, I don't have time to go into a whole ser series on heaven right now, but a lot of people misunderstand heaven and they think of heaven simply as a never-ending church service where you just stand there and sing. That is not what heaven will be like. Heaven, the Bible talks about us having jobs. It talks about us ruling and reigning with him and it talks a lot about different things, and we have to understand that worship is can be done in song, but worship is not only done in song. We will declare God's praises by walking out his plans throughout eternity. Yes, there will be times when we will stand before God and we will sing. There will be times when we will sit with God and feast. There will be times when we will carry out God's commands throughout earth, throughout <clears throat> All of God's creation. Whether we play on other planets, I don't know. We'll get to have fun and figure that out later. But 
what you need to understand is that the things that you do in heaven, you're going to do a lot of them with people. Right now, you are learning and you are practicing for eternity. Um, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we already read this. <coughs> we talked about this. This is the, um, the whole law is summed up in this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. <coughs> that can't be learned in isolation. You can't learn love in a bubble. In order to learn love, you need there to be other people. And not just perfect people. You learn to love with those annoying people. Has anyone ever met somebody who's annoying, bothered you, got under your skin, drove you crazy, made you want to do things that you probably shouldn't do, hit them, shoot them, beat them, say something to them you shouldn't say, shove a cork in their mouth, whatever. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I've not felt all of those. Maybe I have. Okay, no. Um, but the, the, the point is that <clears throat> these people actually help you learn how to love. Our job as Christians, is to carry out God's love. We are supposed to show God's love to each other. In fact, totally out of place in my notes, but okay, John 13, 35, says, by this that they will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Jesus didn't say, they'll know that you're Christians by all the things you don't do. You have the longest lifts of don'ts of any people. Therefore, they'll know you love me. No. He didn't say you'll have the largest Bible ever. You will dress up all the time. Like, there's none of that. He just goes, all right, you want to know how they're going to recognize you? They're going to look at the way you love people. They're Actually, he said, they're going to see the way you love each other. How you love the fellow members of God's family. And they're going to see something different. They're going to see something and they're going to recognize that you're my disciples by this. And I got asking going, well, well, is that happening? We are part of God's body. I'm supposed to be marked by this love. I'm supposed to be part of it, to be part of God's body, which um, you can find this in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individual members of one another. And then again, it talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all its members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. As we look at this, um, as the body, we're supposed to be here for each other. When one part celebrates, we should be celebrating with it. When it hurts, we should bear the burden with it. We need to encourage each other. Um, has anyone ever broke a limb? Broke anything? Broke a bone? Okay. For those of you who haven't broke a bone, good on you. Um, for those of you who have, sorry. Um, it's horrible. I broke a couple of them. Um, I did a collarbone. You don't ever think about a collarbone unless you break it. Like a collarbone? What's it do? Goes from here to here. Yeah, what do I use it for? And you're like, I don't know. Probably nothing. And that's what you think. Break it once. You use it for everything. You go, what, what do you mean, everything? Okay, you, you break your collarbone, you sit up. And you're like, ah! You're like, I took a deep breath. Ah! Like, what? How did breathing do it? Like, someone makes you laugh. And you're like, don't do that. That hurts. Like, how? Oh, my collarbone. I don't know. And you're like, 
Everything you do, someone hits you over here, you're like, ouch. You're like, oh, did you hurt your arm? No, my collarbone. It's over there. How is that? I don't know. Why? It's connected. Well, how is it connected? Well, see, this arm, it runs up this way, and then it attaches the bones here, which run over here, which run over here, and it comes over here. It's all connected. It's me. What happens to your finger if you cut it off? It bleeds. Yes, true. Um, <laughs> bleeds, it hurts. Yes, true answers. If you take your finger in really quickly, and I advise you don't do this, but just in case you do cut it off. Um, if you run in with finger in, finger in hand, that's, anyways, <laughs> sorry. If you run in with your finger to, like, the, the ER, and if they're really good and really fast, they may be able to reattach it in time. If they can, your finger might be saved or saved somewhat. If they cannot, your finger will die. Why? Because it's not connected to the body anymore. Simple. You are a member of God's body. You are not meant to be disconnected. Hebrews chapter 10, 20, verse 25, <coughs> says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another daily, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, Don't stop fellowshipping together. Don't skip out on meeting together. He goes, you aren't meant to do this on your own. All the more as you see the day approaching, you are supposed to encourage each other. And you go, what does it <coughs> mean to be encouraging one another? In Hebrews 3.13, it says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And Paul made this, makes this comment, or I guess whoever's writing Hebrews, it's kind of debatable, but we're just going to call him Paul. Um, encourages them so that they won't be shaken. When knowing is easy and doing is difficult, we need to be encouraged. Being encouraged brings strength to keep pushing forward. Have you ever known what the right thing was and had it be hard to do? Okay. If you can raise your hand there, just keep breathing. It'll happen. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody and asked them questions, and they're dating. You start asking, you go, well, should you be dating either right now? And they're like, no. Or like, okay, I could be dating right now. Like, Great. Tell me about the person that you're dating. Should you be dating them? No. What should you do? Break up. But it's hard. That's when you need encouragement. Because sometimes you know, knowing what the right thing is is much easier than doing the right thing. And you need people around you that will rally with you. And sometimes it's going, all right, here, we're going to help walk you through it. We're going to encourage you along the way. We're going to pick you up when it's hard. When you're crying because you made the hard call, because you did the right thing, we're going to be there for you. See, when <clears throat> Christ, when, when Jesus was on earth, he fulfilled God's mission 
on earth through his physical body. Today, he uses his spiritual body. You are supposed to help walk out God's plan on earth. And part of that plan is for you to be in fellowship with believers, encouraging and strengthening each other, calling each other out, building each other up, loving each other. Um, he, uh, Dad shared this really well. I, Dad stole this from Dad last night. Added this to my notes. He, he shared about the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to just tell you the 30-second version. The guy goes on a walk from one city to another. Some thieves come out. They beat him up, take all of his stuff, and leave him for dead. Priest comes by, and a Levite come by. Both these guys come by. They see him, and they go, oh, that's not good. Thieves might be around. They walk to the other side and just take, take off and leave the guy there. Samaritan comes by. A Samaritan and the guy down there are enemies. Um, and as this guy comes by, he sees what would be his enemy there beat up, uh, bleeding, and broke. And instead of taking the time to point and laugh and kick, picks the guy up, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays two days' wages to the innkeeper, and says, this should cover what um, his expenses so far. If he incurs any more, let me know. I'll cover them on my way back. And after he'd bandaged him up, take, taken good care of him, he leaves. And Jesus turns then to, the, to this guy who asked him a question and goes, all right, who treated him like a neighbor? Who showed him God's love? And <coughs> the guy looks at him and goes, the guy who had mercy on him. He says, go and do likewise. And dad summed this story up like this. He said, the thief had the philosophy that what is yours is mine, so I'll take it. The priest has the attitude that what is his is his and you aren't going to get any of it. The Samaritan had the mindset that what is, what is mine is yours if you need it. He goes, I'm going to take care of you. And Jesus ended it with, you go and do likewise. I want to challenge you guys. And if you say, you know what, but I don't have good people around me. Get in a small group. It's a great spot to build friendships with people that are going where you want to go, people that will challenge you. If you say, well, I've got people around me and they're doing stupid things. Get some new ones. If, if they don't want to change. If someone says, you know what, I need, to, I need out and they want to get out, get out with them. Help them out. Don't just look at somebody and go, you made a mistake, sucker. Like, no, that's not, the, that's not love. But if someone wants to continue walking away from God, don't let them take you, that, take you with them. They want to do their own thing? Put some space there. They can call you whatever they want. In the end, they're going to stand in front of God on their own, and so are you. But you need to get good people around you. You need to be a good person around some others. You need to show God's love. You are his instrument to see God's will done on earth today. You were made to be in fellowship with him and to be in fellowship with his people. You are part of the body of Christ. If you say, you know what, I'm not, you say, I'm not, I'm not a part of God's family because not everyone is. I'm part of God's creation, but I want to be part of his family. I want to receive what he offers. I want the gifts that become to every believer. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I want to be part of his family. I want to know that I'm right with God on my way to heaven. I want to give you a chance to make that choice. 
Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? When I come through, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. Get ready. One. Two. Three. Raise up your hands nice and high. So that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. Who else says that's me? Awesome. Who else says that's me? Most important decision that you'll ever make. All right. We're going to say a simple prayer. The Bible says whoever calls on his name will be saved. So go ahead, whether you raised your hand or you say, I've already done this, then go ahead and repeat after me. Say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.